0: I'm Chris Reback. This is Investigating Breast Cancer, the podcast of the Breast Cancer Research Foundation and conversations with the world's leading scientists studying breast cancer prevention, diagnosis, treatment, survivorship, and metastasis, which just happens to be the topic of today's conversation. Metastasis, of course, is the process by which cancer cells move to different parts of the body. In other words, we might beat cancer in one place only to have it show up sometimes years later in another place. For breast cancer patients, the brain is one of the more common organs it invades. In fact, this occurs in more than a third of patients with advanced breast cancer, up to 300,000 patients a year. And the prognosis of cancer patients who develop brain metastasis is poor, with only 20% of patients surviving at one year, which makes the work that Dr. Priscilla Brastianos leads so significant. Dr. Brastianos is director of the Central Nervous System Metastasis Program and assistant professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and Massachusetts General Hospital. Dr. Brastianos's research focuses on understanding the mechanisms that drive metastatic disease to the brain, and she is conducting studies to characterize the genetic and molecular profiles of brain metastasis compared to primary breast cancer with the goal of identifying potential targets for therapy and strategies to improve response to existing therapies. She's been a BCRF investigator since 2017. But as you'll hear, Dr. Brastianos' work is not just urgent, it's also personal. Her grandmother, as a 23-year-old medical student in Greece, was diagnosed with breast cancer. She passed away six years later from metastatic breast cancer. Then, more recently, Dr. Brastianos's mother also passed away from metastatic breast cancer. As Dr. Brastianos has said, quote, We need to find better treatment options for patients with metastatic cancer. Before a conversation, though, an ask from me to you. I hope you like these investigating breast cancer conversations. And if so, I'd appreciate if you take a moment, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. The ratings really matter. They go a long way to helping other people find the podcast. Thank you for considering my request. That's it. Here's my conversation with Dr. Priscilla Brastianos. Dr. Brastianos, thanks for joining me. I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you for the invitation. Delighted to do this.
0: So, in this podcast, as you would expect, we talk in each episode about breast cancer. We also talk very frequently about metastasis. Uh, but people may not realize the brain is one of the more common organs that it invades. In fact, this occurs in more than a third of patients with advanced breast cancer, and that, which I guess calculates to up to 300,000 patients a year. That is such a big number.
1: Yes, unfortunately, breast cancer that spreads to the brain is a very common complication of cancer, and it does occur, as you mentioned, in about 30 to 40% of patients with advanced breast cancer mm. And unfortunately, while advances in cancer therapies have dramatically improved our ability to control breast cancer outside of the brain, we still have a long way to go to develop you know, better therapies for for cancer that has spread to the brain.
0: What makes the brain so vulnerable and what makes the brain itself so difficult to address?
1: That's a fantastic question. So one reason the brain is so vulnerable is that Many drugs that we use to treat um, breast cancer or other types of cancers don't get into the brain as well as um, other parts of the body. And um, that has to do with what's called the blood-brain barrier, which is actually a protective barrier. It protects the brain from chemicals or other toxins, but that also means that drugs that could work for cancer outside of the brain don't work as well in the brain. So that's one reason. Mm. And then the second reason is, and this is, and I'll touch upon this later in the interview too, um, the second reason is, and this is a lot of my research that we're currently doing, is that brain metastases do differ genetically from the primary tumors. So targets that work for the primary tumors may not necessarily work for... For the brain metastases,
0: and, and that's an and a, I can touch yes, oh, sorry, I, I'm second. sure that you will. No, no, I, I know you will touch on that because that's the the core of, um, if not you know all of your study, a, a, a significant area um, of the studying that you're doing. So so let's get let's get into that. You're you're conducting studies um, to characterize the genetic and molecular profiles of brain metastasis compared to the primary breast cancer. Um, which you just explained, uh, with the goal of identifying potential targets for therapy um, and strategies to improve response to existing st- therapies. So I take that to mean either to find new therapies, find new strategies, um, and try to improve uh, what's, you know, the, the approaches that are, are currently underway. Um, so, so let's break that down. First, tell me, if you would, about the studies themselves. Um, how do they work and how far into them are you?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. That's actually dear to, to my heart and to what my lab does. So um, I do want to start by saying that historically a lot of clinical trials yeah. have excluded patients with brain metastases. Um, and that Why? has to do with... Yeah. Um, it's a great question. Uh, one reason is because... Patients um, with brain metastases often do worse than other patients. So, um, unfortunately, drug companies are often hesitant to, mm-hmm. to want uh, to have their, their drugs um, investigated in patients with brain metastases, and, um, and that is unfortunate and terrible. Um, and so a common exclusion criteria in clinical trials throughout the U.S. Um, has been um, the presence of brain metastases, and um, us and a number of other investigators are really trying to change that, so we 're really trying to um, to, to change the, the attitude that we should be excluding patients. in fact, we should be um, studying patients with brain metastases because we need to find better treatment options for patients yeah. and so that, um, that is actually the the crux of why we do what we do is we're trying to find better treatments for patients with brain metastasis. And and how we do that is we try to understand the molecular underpinnings of metastatic disease that goes to the brain. So, so what does that mean? So, so cancer um, is caused by changes in DNA and often these changes can be targeted. So targeted therapy or personalized medicine has revolutionized how we manage many different types of cancers. Um, Even in breast cancer, for example, overexpression of the marker HER2 um, is associated to responses um, to HER2 therapy, so anti-HER2 therapy. So what my lab has focused on in the last few years is trying to understand are the therapeutic targets in the brain the same as the primary tumor. So often what we see, so I'm also a clinician, so I'm a a physician scientist, so I I treat patients with brain metastases, but I also run a lab focusing in this area, and often what we see is that patients with brain metastases will often progress in the brain and not outside of their brain, so that's not an uncommon clinical scenario. And so the question is, you know, is it because there's new genetic changes in the brain um, that we don't necessarily see in the primary tumor? And over the last several years, my lab has been focusing on trying to answer that specific question. So we have been collecting and analyzing the genetics of brain metastases and comparing them to the primary tumors and then seeing if these genetic changes are potentially Therapeutic targets. So in one of our initial studies that we published a few years ago, we had taken patient samples from about a hundred patients, and that included not just breast cancer patients, but other histologies, meaning other types of cancers such as lung cancer, renal cell cancers, as there are you know, other cancers that, that go to the brain also. And in that initial study, we did find that brain metastases have new genetic changes or new therapeutic targets that are not detected in the original primary sample. Mm. So what does that mean? It means that if we are only targeting what we see in the primary tumor, we might miss potentially clinically significant alterations that are in, in the brain metastasis
0: you know in reading about your work and listening to you now um you tell me, tell me if this is wrong it, it, it's almost like you're creating a google map of how the cancer moved of how it metastasized from the initial tumor location to the brain you you're trying to determine wait where did this thing make a wrong turn and not just where did that occur but what happened to the vehicle to make it make that wrong turn is that uh, obviously you know hyper basic understanding but is that something of a description of, of what you're after or are you, or are you doing something uh, um, something way beyond Google Maps <laughs>
1: That's a fantastic description. And in fact, the other way we like to describe it so, uh, are you familiar with the, the term the Cancer Genome Atlas? Yes. Or TCGA? Yes. So, TCGA has its a genome atlas, and all kinds of different um, uh, cancers, you know, lung cancers, breast cancers, have been studied in TCGA. So, it's an atlas of the genetics of specific tumors. And that uh, most of these. Samples or most of these samples analyzed are primary tumor samples. Very few of these are, are brain metastasis samples. So essentially we like to say we're creating an atlas of, of brain metastases genetics. Mm. And I, I do like the idea of the Google map. Essentially, exa- that's exactly right. We're trying to pinpoint what are the key alterations that drive metastasis, and can we understand why that cancer metastasized? Why did it go to the brain? And that's the, one of the key questions we're trying to answer.
0: And, and what's your hypothesis? Or, and, and I don't know exactly, you know, you can, you can fill me in. Is there initial feedback or insights from which you can extrapolate? What are you learning about the genetic and molecular um, profiles of brain metastasis compared to the bri- primary breast cancer? Um, are there connections? And, and if you're not fully there yet, the data just aren't, aren't sufficient. Um, what's your hypothesis?
1: We're knee deep in the analysis now. With our initial sequencing data, we are finding that the brain metastases do have new driver mutations that we're not seeing in the primary tumor. And in fact, we see that there are commonalities um, across many samples. So there are certain pathways that seemed or molecular pathways that seem to be common in the brain metastases mm. across you know many brain metastases and there are some pathways that seem to be very common and and that's already led to um, a clinical trial in patients with brain metastases so we actually just activated a clinical trial mid August that is a national clinical trial where we're actually going to be treating patients with brain metastases based on the genetic alterations that are found in the brain metastasis and that's a different paradigm to how we've traditionally been treating patients with brain metastases and in the past and if i can go a little bit more into how brain metastasis patients were commonly treated, you know in the last several decades brain metastases patients almost always got whole brain radiation mm and that was just standard. Yeah. And now as patients are living longer, we're seeing that there are a lot of toxicities to whole brain radiation. There's still a role to whole brain radiation in a in a select group of patients, but we're trying to now create a more personalized approach to patients with brain metastases whereby we can try to understand what are the molecular drivers in this particular patient with the brain metastasis, and can we target that patient? And that piece is still a work in progress. We're we're actively now investigating this in this national trial that we're doing, um, and we're hoping that this will lead to to better clinical outcomes for patients with brain metastases.
0: And from my understanding, when you talk about these patients and the folks in the trial um, for brain metastasis or with brain metastasis, is that... Did they all originate from breast cancer or are these, as you mentioned earlier, um, patients who um, have have, have gotten cancer and it is metastasized to the brain, but it originated out of multiple forms of cancer?
1: We're actually allowing all histologies, so we're allowing Mm. lung cancer patients, renal cell, melanoma, to go on to the study because we're finding some of these same patterns that we're studying in breast cancer are actually emerging in other cancers also. So we're hoping that we'll be able to, to help not just you know breast cancer patients, but other um, other cancers also. Yeah. But we do have breast-specific arms of the study where we're specifically going to be treating or, or um, looking at the breast cancer population. Yeah, But I, I... we are allowing... other histologies, and we'll be analyzing those separately, if that makes sense.
0: It it makes total sense, and it it hits on truly one of the most interesting things that I have learned in these conversations is how leading researchers like you um, connect work across um cancers. I mean it, it, you're like the ultimate investigators um finding clues you know maybe it's in for in some cases from uh one part of the body you know certain folks uh, that I've talked to or or certain types of cancer and then divining how they may or may not be applied to other parts of the body or other types of cancer. Is that I assume that that's part of your approach? as well as trying to understand the um, similarities, differences across these various types of cancers um, in terms of uh, how they um, metastasize to the brain.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So we're looking at how breast cancer differs from lung cancer in the brain, but then we're also looking at the similarities. Because One can learn a lot from each of the different cancers. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's I, I hear that frequently, and it's uh, um, a, a really interesting part of the you know all the study that goes on. T- tell me about the brain metastasis tumor bank. Um, I understand that you're um, in fact working with an international network on this. Um, how do those logistics work?
1: Yes, so I am so grateful at you know this group of national and international collaborators that we have. So. We have established a number of collaborations, both within the U.S. and nationally, and we are receiving samples from, we've received samples from Spain, from Mm. Poland, from Toronto, from Korea, and then from a number of institutions in the U.S. and a number of others also, and we're... Collaborating to try to create the the largest resource we can to study brain metastases, and um, one cannot do great science in isolation. So before, I would say 2010, 2011, the largest study to comprehensively characterize a brain metastasis from breast cancer, and that's using the genomic tools that we're using now, had one patient sample. Mm. So you can't do much with one patient sample. No. So now. We have in our bank more than 1,500 brain metastases from all histologies that includes breast cancer, lung cancers, melanoma, renal cell carcinoma, and we're now systematically analyzing these samples to to try to see, again, what's unique to each histology and then what's What's common across all histologies, and how can we take this data to clinical trial? And the beauty of this collaboration is that we share data back to to our collaborators, and each collaborator can then run with that data and and investigate this um, the analysis in their lab, too. yeah.
0: Yeah, there's no way it, it's, uh, you, I don't know if it's, it's kind of a combination, it sounds like, between democratizing, but also, um, exponentially growing the amount of data and the insights that various scientists and researchers can get out of the, uh, out of the inputs.
1: That's exactly right, and I, I do have to say that we've benefited a lot from philanthropic support, and I am grateful for that. So, you know, we've received funding from places like Breast Cancer Research Foundation um, and other foundations to help with a lot of these efforts, and that's been tremendously rewarding. Yeah,
0: I am sure. Um, kind of maybe a final question on this part of what you do um, in thinking about the potential outcomes and benefits and and therapies and strategy that that you hope and others hope might come out what might an improved strategy to the existing therapies look like what what could that entail
1: an improved strategy is personalized medicine for for each patient with a brain metastasis mm. so taking each patient studying studying the the tumor for each individual patient and finding what the right targets and what the right treatment approach may be. And I've talked a lot about precision medicine and targeted therapy. Right now, you know, immunotherapy is also quite hot and is being looked at in, and has revolutionized many different types of cancers. We're still trying to figure out the best role for it in breast cancer. However, again, in the future what I hope is that we'll be able to predict from analyzing a tumor sample you know what is the best treatment for this patient should we give this particular target th- treatment should we be giving this patient immunotherapy or chemotherapy and individualized treatment will be I think the future for for these patients mm-hmm.
0: as I am listening to you I'm, I'm also aware of course um, of all the directions that studying, uh, metastasis in the central nervous system can go and you have studied it, um, in a number of areas and of all the connections it might have to other medical conditions, um, for you personally, uh, it's not by accident that you've been inspired to explore at least in part its connection to breast cancer, is it?
1: Yes, I have a, a very personal connection to, to breast cancer and, and, um, yeah, my personal story is that my grandmother was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 23, and she at that time was one of the only females in her medical school class, mm. and she palpated a breast mass while learning how to perform physical examination, and she diagnosed herself with breast cancer, and she went on to graduate from medical school, and she unfortunately passed away in her late 20s from metastatic breast cancer, and she left behind my mom, who was six at the time, and I grew up hearing my grandmother's story, and my grandmother, for the short life that she had, made an impact on her patients, even in those few years where she practiced medicine, and I remember hearing her story and knowing I wanted to become a medical doctor, like my grandmother, but I knew I wanted to study cancer. And then, unfortunately, 40 years later, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And in, at that time, I was in medical school. And so we started her journey of mastectomy, radiation, you know, chemotherapy. And together, we lived through the trepidation of awaiting well, we scan results, you know, trips to the ER, side effects of her chemotherapies. And it's these two women and, and their stories woven into my life that really inspired me to to become a medical oncologist and scientist and and look for treatments that metastasize. And unfortunately, my mom passed away just a few years ago from metastatic breast cancer. And when she was alive, I felt like I was racing against the clock to to try to delve into the research that could potentially help her. Um, I was not able to do so, unfortunately. And before she passed away, she he made me and my brother promise that we were going to dedicate our lives to, to this pursuit, and, and we're doing that. And um, I miss my mom every day, and that's what drives me every day. I really want to find better treatments for for patients with with metastatic cancer, and I made that promise. And I hear her voice every day, and I'm determined to do that.
0: I'm sure that you are, and uh, you are doing it, and in in obviously, and in learning about your story and thinking about it. Um, there were two aspects of it that really hit me um One is you must connect so directly with what I assume is one of the main concerns of anybody with a uh an illness like that, which is the pressure of time, the stress of right. time, the limitation of time um, right does that How does that affect either? your work, or maybe your connection to, to the men, mentality of mind for mindset. That's really the word I'm looking for. The mindset of, of, of patients. How, how does the, how does the question of time play into uh, what you do?
1: So my experience with my mom has made me a better doctor. I do. I can understand the patient and family the anxiety that, goes with um, a diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer because you don't know how much time um, you have. And, and we lived through that. So, and that inspires me in my work because I'm constantly trying to find better treatments so that we can give patients more time. You know, median survival is still not great for patients that have brain metastases. And I want to try to extend that.
0: The other part that struck me um, is your role um i mean i i you know you uh my my belief is that you are uh still on the young side as well um, Your grandmother uh was very young and and made incredible impact it it sounds like and and from what i 've read. Um, uh, I don't know what your mother did, but uh, obviously, you know, very young as well. How do you think about that part of your role, specifically engaging with or encouraging young women to take on such enormous challenge? I mean, you personally have... Um, met uh, great success and and maybe more importantly or as importantly, incredible responsibility um, at a relatively young age. How, do you think about, how do you think about this? Do you think about this in terms of um, engaging with or encouraging young women to take on um, challenges like you've taken on?
1: What I tell young women is that if they have a passion, they should absolutely pursue it. And, In my role as a physician scientist, I take great joy in mentoring young women. So I have young women in my lab um, and also I work with residents and and fellows and um, I try to guide them and I try to um, inspire them in some way so that they're not afraid to take on big challenges and and ask big questions and and then Mm. pursue their goals.
0: And you indicated earlier that you kind of decided at a very young age that that for you it would be science. Um, was that the case? Was there uh, was there ever a, a, a second option, or or did uh, was it just it was always science and it was always math and and you know it, becoming a fiction novelist just was never really going to be in the cards.
1: Yeah, I enjoy writing, and I actually write poetry on the side. Ah,
0: okay, well, I, <laughs> so maybe that maybe that is where this is going to go.
1: Uh, I enjoy the humanity of medicine too. Mm. So there's an art of medicine too. So I love that the artistic side of medicine. So I, my obviously, I, I knew from a young age I wanted to to pursue medicine, um, and you know. And help people in some way, and I love science, but I do love writing and I, I do i do creative writing on the side
0: well, excellent we all you know we'll we'll have to uh check out the, the you know find if there's a website out there you, you know even if you haven't done it yet uh maybe you've got a uh, maybe you've got a gnome de plume that'll have to be you, you, anything you want to talk about <laughs> anything you want to reveal right not now yet. or not yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well not yet uh, maybe
1: maybe if I decide to retire at the age of eighty or eighty five you know i can I can start publishing well,
0: poetry. the world isn't going to wait <laughs> until then for your poetry, so you're going to have to come <laughs> in with another plan
1: um,
0: it, 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 dr. brastiano just to 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 close up t- two questions one you, you kind of you mentioned earlier the incredible role that organizations play in funding work and 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 helping uh create opportunity, I guess, and, and there, are, there are a number of them. The Breast Cancer Research Foundation, what role have they been able to play in your research?
1: I am so grateful for the support that Breast Cancer Research Foundation has provided. So they have provided support for us to be able to create this, um, this tumor bank of samples and to genomically characterize the breast cancer brain metastasis samples, and, and the work is already leading to clinical trials. So I'm incredibly grateful for their support.
0: And uh you know, of course not to appear uh, ungrateful in any way, but um people of course are going to want to know um what's next. Is it uh really focusing on uh finishing these uh clinical trials and, and and the current study? Um how how do you define what's next in terms of uh the science?
1: Well, we still have a long way to go to understand the genomics of brain metastases. So yeah. our goal is to, to identify the genetic drivers that are specific to the development of brain metastases, and we're still not there yet. Yeah. And so that's you know, one goal. And then the second is to, to take this work to more clinical trials. Mm. So we need to find more effective targeted treatments, not just targeted treatments, but treatments for brain metastases patients, and that's going to be my life goal. We need to find better treatments for patients with brain metastases.
0: We certainly do. Dr. Brastianos, thank you. Thank you for uh, your time, and, and thank you, obviously, for the work that you do.
1: Thank you very much. That was
0: my conversation with Dr. Priscilla Brastianos. My thanks to Dr. Brastianos for joining and you for listening. To learn more about breast cancer research or to subscribe to our podcast, go to bcrf.org podcasts.